1: Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Bashu Rotnam. Bashu is the CEO and founder of Inde and Inde All Day. An Indian-American cafe in New York City, the food is based on what he grew up eating as a first-generation Indian-American. Bashu has turned his lifelong memories of cooking with his mom into this awesome restaurant concept with six locations now. Thank you so much for being here, Bashu. I'm so excited to chat with you about all of these things, and I'm already hungry just thinking about it.
3: <laughs> well, I can't wait to welcome you into our one of our restaurants, and uh, thank you for having me today. Of
1: course. Yeah. So let's take it back to the very beginning. I know I just mentioned you were first generation Indian American. So where were you born? And where was your family from, I I guess, in India? And what was kind of that backstory like for you?
3: Sure. Uh, I was born in New York, uh, in Long Island. uh, And my parents were both born and raised in India. And I guess Interestingly, for a first-generation Indian American, my parents met uh, in America. They, they didn't come over together. And so the fun thing about that is they're from very different parts of the country. My mom is from the Northeast. She's from Calcutta. My father's from Hyderabad. And so you know those might as well be two different countries in terms of the cuisine. They speak multiple different languages. Their only kind of overlapping language is English. And so... Uh, I grew up eating a ton of just kind of very different regional Indian food because my mom would cook the food that she loved. She would cook the food that my dad loved. And, you know, she was kind of interested in this idea and concept of food as medicine way before it was something that has become as kind of trendy as it is now. Um, mm-hmm. She had written a book 30 years ago called Spirit vs. Scalpel. So she'd been thinking about. Eastern philosophies on, on healing and, uh, and wellness versus kind of medic- modern medical practices here. So that really um, informed a lot of my childhood. So eating a lot of Indian spices, a lot of Indian food, my mom thinking about ways to make the cuisine palatable to us, you know, growing up in suburban Long Island uh, and all the while her sort of thinking that food is is a central part of how we feel, who we are uh, and all that. So it cool. Was my- yeah it was a big part of my childhood
1: yeah very cutting edge she was my goodness she was,
3: she, was. <laughs> still she still is
1: yeah that's awesome and so what was it like growing up as an indian american in long island i don't know what the demographics were in that area but i wouldn't imagine there being a ton of other indian american families there if correct me if i'm you, wrong
3: there weren't a ton but my mom did her best to surround us with as many as she could she started a uh a Sunday school equivalent, an Indian Sunday school equivalent, um, and uh, so we had it. We went to this thing called the Young Indian Culture Group. So there, there were a few, but there weren't a ton. Um, I think growing up in Long Island was interesting. I think uh, you know, it was a I grew up in a kind of middle class, nice middle class neighborhood, mostly white kids. I, you know, as I said before, my parents were from different parts of India and spoke different languages, and so their only overlapping language was English. Which is what I is the only language I speak, Uh, and so I actually had a tougher time hanging out with Indian kid, other first generation Indian kids, than I did American kids because in many ways I felt like I grew up in a in a mixed race household, even though both my parents were from from India. So I, me and my sister, I have an older sister. We both uh, kind of rejected a lot of Indian culture uh, growing up and in favor of doing more of the quote-unquote American stuff. And you know, my mom used to have to sneak in Indian spices into our hamburgers or nachos or whatever she was making for us. So I would say I spent a lot of time resisting um, Indian culture, even though I was exposed to it. My mom tried to figure out all these different innovative ways to, to keep it as a relevant part of our, our upbringing. Um, and it wasn't until I went off to college and traveled a little bit after school that I started re- to reconnect with that part of myself. So... Uh, it took I took the long way but but uh, I think I got there at the end,
1: yeah, interesting. so I mean, that's cool that she was able to kind of connect you with those people in that area and kind of make that more of a cultural experience for you in new york and i I have family that grew up in Long Island as well, so I'm very familiar with uh with the region, and I'm sure that was kind of an interesting childhood for you, but
3: <laughs> it it,
1: uh, yeah, made for good stories, huh
3: yeah I loved it and my mom you know she she did the she did the best she could and she you know they they were doing everything for the first time but my mom famously like in our group of friends you know she used to run like the equivalent of a uh an all-day diner 24-hour diner which is maybe where I got my start in hospitality because um, you know any time of day we were like the house that we could come home at 11 o'clock at night and my mom would whip up pancakes or burgers or you know whatever else it was so Food was a huge part. And she said that was how she grew up in, in her her house, you know, in India, is that her her friends always knew that they could come to her home growing up. And, and that was like something that she took really seriously. And so we were very lucky uh, to have that support and love. And it, it, it did make for some great stories. So I, yeah. I feel overall very lucky.
1: Yeah. So what were some of your favorite foods that, what I don't know if it was just her cooking or both your parents doing the cooking, or what were some of your favorite foods growing up?
3: Mm, you know, it's funny. I was just telling this story to someone the other day. Our My favorite restaurant growing up, it was like a family favorite, was Red Lobster, which oh, sounds so classy. insane now. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was classy then. It was like a big deal Yeah, uh, going to Red Lobster. Like we would put on our like best outfits. I used to be able to get unlimited soft drinks. We, my sister and I used to fight over like the, um, I can't even remember the name of the hush puppies. It was like oh, a, it was a huge deal. Yeah. But I would say that favorite foods growing up were, was definitely red lobster. Um, my mom used to be an incredible, as I said, like short order cook. So we would used to eat burgers, pancakes, a lot of that stuff. And then as I got a little bit older, I would say my favorite Indian dishes that she would make, and she still makes them every time I come home, are chicken biryani and uh, seek kebabs, which are both something that we have on our menus today.
1: Yum. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I actually, full disclosure, I don't, I am very embarrassed to admit this, but it took me a very long time to kind of come around to loving Indian cuisine and I, that is completely on me. And now that I do, I'm so mad at myself for taking this long. I think my, my parents are both very like spice obsessed. So the foods that they would get me to try from Indian food, whenever we would go out for it was always just the spiciest stuff. And I'd be like, I can't do this. And then oh. I finally, yeah, I finally got around to like trying some really awesome dishes that, you know, some authentic restaurants around here. And I'm like, Oh my God, you guys have just been feeding me the wrong things. And now that I am, it's probably the cuisine I, you know, order in from the most, I crave the most right now. Like I absolutely love it. So I am definitely just very hungry talking about all this and (laughs) very ashamed to admit that it took me however many years of life to come around to the awesome cuisines of, you know, where you come from and
3: well don't yeah don't be ashamed because it took me a long time too and i would say you know growing up i don't know how exactly old you are but you know indian food has come a really long way and i would say in the last like five to seven years it's completely like changed in terms of the way that uh it's been presented the regionality of it all the specificity the pride with which people cook it i think when it was introduced here It was done, you know, and I think this is like just the challenge of being an an ethnic cuisine, an ethnic minority, trying to build a cultural language here. It was just done in a very homogenous, not super inspired kind of, you know, I hate to say it, but low quality way. Um, And so I think the Indian food you might have grown up on is just really different than, than the quality that you can get here. I think so.
1: so. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good way to put it. And I think it's kind of gotten more popular. And I think, you know, growing up in America, you kind of see how certain cuisines have, you know, risen in popularity, and people learn more about it. And, you know, you might have, and it's kind of similar with, I guess, Chinese food, where it was just, like you said, so homogenized, and, you know, kind of just eating the same, like low quality, you know, like orange chicken or whatever, and Panda Express and things that were not super authentic and good and then finally you know more authentic restaurants start popping up especially if you live in a big city like New York and that kind of I got was lucky enough to experience some good authentic good quality Indian food and I'm like wait a second okay <laughs> this is on me
3: there's a reason why in my opinion Indian restaurants historically were not as good as they were today and that is because Indian in India, which has and had an unfortunate history of, of caste system, the like most of the great food in India are eaten in people's homes. And there wasn't a huge tradition, in my opinion, of like Indian restaurants. And when people went out for Indian food, they were often eating um, Indian, they're actually eating like Western food or Chinese food mm-hmm. or you know Singaporean food or whatever. And so that's changed a lot. And now people are starting to appreciate in India, like the finer, more nuanced uh, cuisines and some of the more regional specific stories. And and that is now starting to translate here in America. And Mm -hmm. what the people that came over and made Indian restaurant, helped create Indian restaurants 30, 40 years ago, were not necessarily trained in a certain tradition and they were just doing what they thought Americans wanted. Um, And I think that has changed, you know, growing up as a first generation Indian American, the idea that we would go into the restaurants was like a crazy concept. And, you know, our parents that did do it, didn't want our kids working in Indian food. And I think now that has all changed and food has become such a central part of the way that we express ourselves that you're starting to see more ambitious, more creative, more thoughtful uh, representations of the cuisine, which I think um, is just making for a much more broad and diverse and, specific and intentional way of, uh, of telling the story of Indian food, which
1: I yeah, think absolutely. And do you think there's been sort of a, like how you're mentioning how your parents, for example, are from two different regions of India and it's almost like two different countries that didn't even speak the same language. Do, uh, in my experience, there's not a lot of people in America who really understand those nuances of like the different areas of India. And, you know, I've had Indian friends who've explained to me that, you know, one area versus another is like it's just completely different customs versus like in everything. It's like could not be more foreign to one another. So is that kind of a a little bit of education that you do, I guess, a bit with your restaurants and, you know, just your life here in America that people don't really know about as much?
3: Um, you know, it's a good question. I think India, first of all, I think it, if it isn't now, it is going to be and I think, by 2030, the most populous country in the world. I think it's going to pass China. Wow. And so there's, you know, 1.6 billion people in India, something like that. And there's more, there's actually more American speaking people in India than there are in America, which just goes to show you, show you the size of the country. Yeah. But obviously, you know, India was not one f- country until uh, until the Brits came in and sort of colonized it and tried to create one standard uh, culture, one standard language, one standard railway system, etc. So there are, you know, a crazy number of uh, dialects and cuisines within India. There was 34 different states that had distinct political entities. They have you know 300 languages, over a thousand dialects. There's over you know a million and a half people. So Indian food is like an impossibly hard thing, and Indian culture is an impossibly hard thing to uh, to wrap your head around and. You know, I, I it's something that we struggle with in our restaurants all the time because people will come in and say, you know, this is not Indian food, I've or this is not this an authentic version of this because I've been to India and I've tried it. And the reality is, even in India, you know, you can have a dish that is super specific to a region, but how they make it at one house and then how they make it down the road at a different house are completely different uh, things. And so we um, we try our best to honor the tradition of the cuisines and the, the ways of making food and whether it's the co- combination of flavors or the pairing or the seasonality of it or the intention, um, behind a certain dish, we try our best to be really careful with how we think about, you know, certain, certain ingredients and in certain dishes, but it's just really, really tough thing with, with Indian food, I think to, to speak authoritatively on what is authentic and what isn't. And I, I think luckily our guests in our restaurants, you know, we have a really casual dining format, um, I think they come in because they have a broad appreciation for India. I like to say that people, a lot of people hold the magic of India in their heart. And we try to serve food for those people and, and make it in a way that uh, it feels kind of as Indian as I am, you know, which is yeah, 100% ethnically Indian, but spend all my time and and very much identify as an American. So we try to thread that needle uh, best yeah. we can. Yeah.
1: Interesting. And so have you ever have you gone over to India? And if so, how many times? And what was that like? Yeah, we
3: used to go every couple of years growing up. It's funny, my parents left a very different India, you know, they left they both left in the 70s. I would say 1970 India was not necessarily a place that you would want to go back and and. Visit unless you were visiting, you know, family, or you had a reason to be back there, it was just really different. The infrastructure was different, the hospitality was different, uh, and so my parents, and they were both from you know lower middle class or uh, backgrounds, and so growing up, they didn't love taking us to India. They used to say, "We worked so hard to get out of India. We're yeah. take you wherever else in the world." Uh, that we could, and so I, I, grew up going to India probably once every three or four years, usually for like a wedding or for a, some sort of family event that we had to be there for. But I would say, as I've gotten older, and it's become such a bigger part of my life and my identity and my interests, and uh, and such a source of inspiration for me on so many different levels, and a way for me to reconnect with parts of my personality that I didn't even necessarily know were Indian. I try to, I try to go back once a year or so.
1: Cool! My gosh. So have have you been to a lot of different parts over there? Or is there like one major area you typically um, go to?
3: Yeah. So I try to, I mean, I've, been, I've traveled around a fair amount. I now have, and largely through work, I have some really dear friends uh, in Bombay and mm-hmm. I have some great friends in, in Jaipur, which is in the north in Rajasthan. So I would say if I'm in the south, Bombay is kind of my base. And if I go a little bit further up north, I'll use Jaipur as my base and uh, both great food cities. Um, and really you it's hard to have a bad meal in India. The food is just, it's incredible. And so uh, there's so much to pick up. I would say I'm very much like a beginner, uh, even though I've been there so many times, but it's Uh it's a constant source of, of inspiration and it's changing so much, which I think is also really fascinating to see. You know, every time I go back, there's just been so much progress, so much, um, so much change, and, and on the one hand, it's like it's ever new and ever cycling, and on the other, there's still a certain sense of tradition and time-honored kind of culture that still exists. So yeah. uh, it, it peaks both sides of my brain.
1: Cool. No, I mean, I've never been, but I'm definitely dying to go. And even try just be, Yeah, even just you talking about it, I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds so cool.
3: <laughs> my, my, my advice to anyone who's going for the first time is don't try to do it all. You know, you almost got to, design, to divide up the country into a few different parts um, and, you know, pick a region that appeals to you and then and then try to spend as much time as you can within that region because it's so big. There's so many languages, culturally so different that I feel like it can get overwhelming if you try to try to see the whole right. thing. Right. So.
1: I mean, it's kind of the same thing if you like, if a foreigner wants to come to America and then they feel like they need to see everything and you're like, wait a second, like you can't do like LA and the South and New York and, Mm -hmm. you know, the mountain, like there's so many different regions that are also different. So, um, no, that definitely makes sense, but we will manifest that for me that one day I'll be able to get over there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll speak it into existence. (laughs) Um, fingers crossed. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
2: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
0: Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client, it's been three months away from opening for the past year.
3: And I had a calendar reminder show up today,
0: and the reminder was that our goal was to open tomorrow. But this spring you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March thirtieth, he had passed away, and then on
3: March thirty first he had come back to life, and then on April second he had passed away again. And I was like, okay, in my regards to the family, I don't even know how to receive this information.
0: So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. Alex, you need to put more money in. We're out. We can't pay anybody. He
2: is the bra worst. Oh my <laughs> God, that guy.
0: It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: So when you were obviously, you know, learning a lot from your mom and kind of having that cultural involvement with the people she was able to connect you with in Long Island, when did you decide that you were going to pursue a career in Indian food? Like, how did that all come about?
3: Uh, That's a great question. I, it, you know, was never part of the plan. I went to school. I studied, you know, political science. I worked in business after graduation. I had no, I have no food. In my family, like no, I like didn't come from a family of of restaurateurs or anyone in hospitality. My parents are both scientists. Uh, but you know, I was sitting at my desk at some point. You know, I'd had a I had a desk job and worked in, in uh, you know big skyscraper or whatever. And I saw like a cheesy piece of pop art that said, "Whatever you spend your time procrastinating doing is what you should do with your real life." And I was like, oh. No. And I used to spend so much time on Eater and Grub Street and, you know, reading uh, any article I could about the newest restaurant. And I loved to, to, to try new things. And I realized some of my happiest moments were centered around food and hospitality. And so that was a big kind of like waking up moment. And then, you know, I'd sort of been kicking around this idea uh, of, of doing something which ended up becoming a day um, for a few months. And. Gathering, You know, I like to do a lot of homework and uh, even though I'm an entrepreneur, I like to take calculated risks, so I, you know, build business plans and talk to different restaurateurs and, and potential investors and whatever. And I was kind of on the fence about it. And then actually to take it like completely full circle, I took my mom out for dinner um, for her birthday and we had this like unbelievable meal and, you know, a ton of wine. And it was just like me and her and we were chatting as if we were friends. But, you know, it was just like a great kind of magical Experience and and by the end of it, I had felt so transported and so moved by the whole thing that I, you know, I told my mom at the end of the meal, like I want I want to do this with my life. Want to open a restaurant? Really? Yeah, she was very supportive, and um, you know, woke up the next day and just made it happen. So
1: oh my gosh! So how long ago was that?
3: That was a long time ago. That this was in 2014. So we opened in early 2016 so it was now I guess nine years ago.
1: Okay wow okay I didn't realize you off. had been my goodness yeah I didn't realize you had been around that long I mean I lived in New York City for a few years but obviously as you know it's pretty talk about overwhelming to yeah. <laughs> to you know conquer and you know see everything that and eat everywhere that there is to eat so I mean congratulations on a being you know an institution in New York for that long, but, you know, all the locations and all that. So obviously you've come a very long way. And um, what has that journey been like for you to go from this conception moment of being at a meal with your mom to now looking back all these years later and, you know, you just opened your sixth location, you know, what is that like for you? Uh,
3: It is, you know, it feels like a lifetime. Um, It's definitely the hardest thing we've, I've ever done and it is uh it's really gratifying i used to have my, my joke about being a restaurateur is that my life is divided into two things which is good problems and bad problems yeah you know for restaurants busy you have a certain set of problems you know staff gets burnt out things break people have you know off experiences because you know you miss something and just human nature or whatever and then if you have a slow restaurant you have a different set of problems and uh it's, it's one or the other. And so I think getting really um, good at managing through that and, and figuring out how to put one foot in front of the other. Obviously, the pandemic was like an extraordinarily difficult time. Uh, our five restaurants in the city are all in the big office buildings that I used to work in. And, uh, you know, for a couple of years, no one, was, no one was in those buildings. So we had to find all sorts of ways to try and pivot no, and stay alive right. and be frontline workers and, you know, do meal kits and launch delivery brands and whatever you we could do we tried and things are now finally starting to feel a little bit more normal um and it feels like the ground is beneath us again and so now thinking about kind of regrouping and figuring out where uh where we go from here and how we continue to expand and uh, create opportunities for our team but i would say it's been an incredible experience it's one i wouldn't change for the world um our uh, our motto is "Good Karma Served Daily," and, and that's something I try to keep really close to my heart. It's it's very kind of authentic to, to me in the way that I feel like I would grew up and raised. And I feel if I if I can lead with that, then there's no bad days. But every day is is uh, is tough. And you know, it's, life being a restaurateur is is challenging, but it's yeah it's really rewarding at the same time.
1: No kidding. So what did you? How did you pivot? I didn't realize you were in kind of these office building centric areas. That must have been a nightmare for <laughs> the what? last few years. What did you do? Uh,
3: what did I do? We did, we did everything at, at yeah. some point. At one point we had hired, I had a uh, I rented an SUV and, and hired a, hired a, 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 a relative of one of our managers to be a driver to, to transport our, our, our staff and in, in, in and out of the restaurants for the ones that felt too uncomfortable. Uh, taking the subway so we, oh we had a little delivery service we had uh you know we did meal kits and we prepared a ton of meals for uh frontline workers in the early days mm-hmm. we um we pivoted to kind of take out only and then delivery and then we had limited dine-in and then we had like these whole we did these different meal kit services we did deliver like we had our own delivery brands that that were cooking up uh like kind of authentic home meals because I felt like I was missing kind of home-cooked food. So people, you know, our, our business was traditionally bowls, which is the kind of stuff you eat at your desk. And if you're not at your desk, maybe you crave a slightly different uh, experience. And so we, we had this whole kind of like expansive, if you were eating at home and you wanted to entertain or you had people over or you wanted to, to have a little bit more of an elevated experience because you've been, you know, scrounging around for lunch uh, for the last few weeks working from your house, we had a, a line of food for that. So we did a tonne. We opened a couple of restaurants during COVID, which was its own interesting experience. Um, and yeah, we just, you know, we kept our teams busy. We kept almost everyone employed. I mean, we stayed active. Uh, we learned a lot and feel very lucky to be on the other side of this now.
1: My gosh. Yeah, that must have been just absolutely insane. I remember just every restaurateur, every every small business, every everyone was obviously in- affected. But in New York City specifically, it was just so crazy talking to restaurant owners and such who were having to pivot in such extreme ways like almost every day it seemed like you know when it was okay now we can eat outside okay now we can't now you can eat inside now we can't just kind of like the constant back and forth and so i mean kudos to you for making it through that and did all of your locations survive fingers crossed
3: all of our locations survived with the exception of one that honestly we would have closed anyway i think it was like okay. a food hall, but all of our like work and mortar location survived and uh yeah i said we opened a couple um during that time so it was uh it was an interesting experience it's it's probably the hardest thing that i've ever gone through wouldn't want to do it again um yeah. Even just thinking back to march 2020 gives me Insane. a little bit of ptsd but but uh happy to be on this side
1: yeah We can look back. It's crazy to think that, you know, we can look back now and be like, oh, my gosh, we did that because for so long, it just felt like it was a never ending situation that we were going to be in. And knock on wood, you know, this doesn't happen again in any way, shape or form. But it was just crazy to see the resilience of, you know, everybody, but I mean, it's the restaurant industry is very near and dear to my heart. So just every time I'd go out to eat, I'd end up be talking to, you know, the chef or whoever the owner and just picking their brain about how they were making this work. And it was just mind blowing to hear about all of that. So I totally respect and commend you for what you all were able to do during that time. So yikes (laughs) yikes <laughs> yeah
3: no it was amazing um shout out to the restaurant industry in general I, I feel like it was incredible you know i'm on two chats restaurant chats now that are still around um, like 150 person whatsapp groups for restaurant tours. it was a lifeline for so many of us you know i didn't do this but had a lot of friends who like you know really spent time you know on the restaurant alliances to rescue funds all this kind of yeah. stuff really petitioning and lobbying on behalf of all the different relief organizations. Um, it's incredible. I mean, people, I think, in hospitality have it in their DNA to take care of other people. And the city was hurting. And I i think, you know, a lot of landlords didn't step up. A lot of businesses and banks didn't step up. But I think a lot of restaurants uh, just sprung to action. And, you know, I did. We At Inday we hosted a little thing when, when COVID was kind of blowing up in India. And it had their, you know, really... Painful and deadly second oh, wave. Right, I, I wanted to right. do, yeah, I wanted to do something, in, and we called it a billion breaths. We wanted to raise a million dollars to buy oxygenators uh, and mobile care units um, for you know the rural, disconnected parts of India. And, and one of the ways that we did it is I called up like fifteen or twenty of my friends who own Indian restaurants. We ended up getting like sixty restaurants from around the world to. Uh, deliver, you know, do home delivery, like special kind of meals, you know, $50 a head or whatever, with all the money getting donated to, uh, to this relief effort. And not one chef said no. And we were, this was a time yeah. when restaurants were hurting. People were dealing with their own financial issues. We weren't sure if we were going to make it. And like every restaurant tour that I spoke to was like, yes, let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Yes, let's do it. And it was just, it was amazing. I think um, restaurants, it's just, we took care of people uh, we took care of each other and Felt so very proud to be part of the
1: community. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost weird how how many little situations like that there were, not little situations, but kind of like major waves in here and other parts of the world where it was almost like, oh my gosh, it's like even just talking about all this brings up like, like you said, kind of PTSD of like, oh my God, remember when we were like all just losing our minds with anxiety constantly. So, um, yeah, rough times, but I'm glad that, you know, you were able to hold through and all the restaurants did well and that your community was able to band together. And it's kind of like those silver linings that make it not as miserable. So (laughs) (laughs) glad, glad to hear all of that. Well, was there anything else about your, your kind of story and your journey to being a multi-restaurant owner <laughs> that I didn't ask you yet?
3: Um no, not really. I mean I think that it was a lot of hard work, but I, I also just want to say that it was for anyone that's listening that's interested in the restaurant business. Uh you know, I had a few mentors and people that really took the time to explain a lot of things to me and still explain a lot of things to me that have helped me make it through and you know yeah it's a hard it's a really really hard business but it's one of the most inclusive and welcoming business and I wouldn't be here if I didn't have such great mentors and friends who I've been able to look up to so I just I feel like yeah that's it's just I think it's a really unique and special part about this business is is how helpful and supportive everyone is of each other
1: yeah no kidding well thank you so much for telling me all about your story and your family and your restaurants and the food and I I ordered Indian food in a couple nights ago but I think I'm due for it again now that we've been talking about it so much please so much. where are you based I didn't ask <laughs> I'm in South Florida but I do I was in New York for a while I um I get up there pretty regularly so it's always kind of like a last minute thing when I plan a trip there but when next time I do I promise I will reach out and because yeah I'm dying I was looking at the menus and uh just dying to try the food over there so i will definitely keep you posted next time Please i'm back do. yeah we i can never stay that. away for too long <laughs> i'm like yeah. i can never go more than a few months without going back so it's my it's my favorite place in the world I'm i
3: just f- i feel that
1: well cool. thank you so much for chatting and telling me all this and getting me in the mood for indian food and all the good things and yeah i just appreciate you
3: thank you so much i appreciate you taking the time to let me uh, share a little more of my story
1: you got it Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.